The questions that Micah proposes in verses 6 and 8 of our Old Testament reading, they are verses that have, or questions that have in some sense been plaguing Christian thought since they were asked by Micah way back then. With what shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? The question has been for a long time, is it faith alone that the Lord requires of you? Is it faith alone that you can come before the Lord with? Or is it faith plus works? Do you have to do something extra to come before God? Do you have to be a good enough person? Faith alone or faith plus works. As Lutherans, if you remember from the Reformation sermon just a couple weeks ago, we follow scripture on this. Faith alone. The answer is that simple. It's one, not the other. The answer is faith alone. That's what the Lord requires of us to be saved. That's the only thing we can come before God with that allows us to come before God is faith alone. To get there, however, this question still needs to be asked. What does the Lord require of you? And it is interesting the way that Micah approaches this. He starts out with a series of rhetorical questions. Rhetorical questions that teach us faith alone, as we'll see, but they also teach us the nuance of that, and they teach us how works fit into that. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? That is a rhetorical question. We know it's rhetorical because he goes on to say, that's not what the Lord requires of you. But yet... To the reader of scripture, that might seem kind of odd. Because the Lord did require that of Israel. And it was required of them to come before the Lord, to be in his presence in the temple, that they would partake in these sacrifices. So which is it? One or the other. What were those sacrifices for? He did command them to sacrifice calves a year old to sacrifice the burnt offerings daily in the temple by the priest, to have the yearly Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where they would sacrifice a pure lamb and where they would offer a scapegoat to be led out into the wilderness. He commanded all of those kinds of offerings, all of those things. And so which is it? And he goes on to say, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? Not just one ram, but what about thousands of rams? What about ten thousands of rivers of oil? If you're a reader of the scripture and you remember not just Leviticus that we were just talking about, but also the Psalms, this should also remind you of a couple of different Psalms. One we sang So beautifully, just a little bit ago, Psalm 116. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? We're going to sing it again later as the offertory. 
What shall I render to the Lord? What shall I come before the Lord with? It's the same question. The psalmist's answer is that I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call on the name of the Lord. I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And also Psalm 50. If you remember Psalm 50, right before 51, where David prays the famous prayer of repentance. In Psalm 50, the Lord says, I will not take a bull from your house, nor goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. A thousand rams? Well, think about all of the cattle on a thousand hills. That's even more than a thousand. Thousands upon thousands, the Lord says. All of those calves, all of those rams, all of those various kinds of cows, whatever the age they are, all of those sheep and all of those goats, it's all mine. The wild beasts of the field are mine. The birds of all the mountains, I know where they are. The world is mine, all its fullness, says the Lord. And as the Lord, he asked, do I eat the flesh of bulls? When the Lord commanded those sacrifices in Leviticus, was he the one who came down and ate the flesh? No, that was for the priests. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No, he says. So he says, offer a sacrifice to God of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Pay your vows to the Most High, and you shall glorify me. These psalms and these rhetorical questions that Micah asked, what do they teach us? They teach us faith alone. They teach us that the Lord does not require for salvation. He does not require to be in his presence the offering of any kind of external sacrifice that we could give. He does not require them of us. Why? Because he doesn't need them. He is God. He alone. He has made all of the things that we could possibly give him. They already belong to him. So why would he need them? What he needs from us is to trust in him. What he needs from us is to believe in him and to, as he says in Psalm 116, to take from him, to receive from him the cup of salvation. What will I offer to the Lord? Nothing. What can I receive from him? The cup of salvation, and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will take this cup of salvation from his altar. I will receive his sacrifice for me, and I will call on his name. But the question remains then, why the sacrifices to begin with? If we fast forward into the New Testament, you can find in Hebrews 10, perhaps the most clear explanation of this. What did the sacrifices of the Old Testament that the Lord commanded give to the people? They gave them a reminder. A reminder of something that was to come that would be that cup of salvation. They were a blood sacrifice 
to remind the people of the blood that was going to fill up the cup of salvation that they could receive. There was a sacrifice, a greater sacrifice, Hebrews says, that was to come. A sacrifice not that had to be offered daily, not that had to be offered yearly, of a calf, of a burnt offering. There was one sacrifice, not thousands upon thousands on hills that already belonged to the Lord, but one sacrifice once for all that was to come. And that was, of course, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of your Lord on the cross for the salvation of the whole world. The sacrifice that shed his blood, filling up the cup of salvation, rising again from the dead, something that those boats, that those goats and bulls, not boats, goats and bulls, could not do. Rise again from the dead, give eternal salvation to all. And only faith alone in that sacrifice, only looking ahead for those Old Testament Christians to that sacrifice, only believing on that sacrifice could save. Faith alone. That's what those sacrifices were for. They were, in other words, to teach. And those sacrifices were good. God would not command them if they were not good. And so what we learn here is that God wants our sacrifices. He does want our sacrifices of thanksgiving, as he says, and he also wants us to do the things that he commands us to do, like he commanded the Old Testament Israelites to do with those sacrifices. Does he need them? No. Do they contribute to your salvation? Absolutely not. Do they contribute to you being able to come before the Lord your God? Absolutely not. But what are these things that he does still want and that are still good, even if they don't contribute to your salvation? You can think about all sorts of commands that he gives you. Do your tithes and offerings save you? No. Does he want them? Absolutely Does your attendance in church save you? No. Does he want to see you in his building to receive the cup of salvation? Absolutely. Does witnessing to your neighbor the gospel and telling them of the salvation of Christ, does that help you come before the Lord your God? No. Only faith does that. But does God want you to share the love of Christ? Absolutely. Does he want to hear your prayers? Does he want you to come to him in devotion? Yes. These are good. God wants them. They don't contribute to your salvation. They don't help you come before the Lord your God. But they are still good. Micah never says that they're not. Micah goes on to ask something that seems kind of ridiculous as another rhetorical question. What can we come before the Lord with? What does the Lord require of us? You can tell by the way that he asked this next question that this is a problem, a real problem, even though it seems kind of ridiculous in Judah where he's prophesying. 
Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? It would seem ridiculous to ask the question, should we sacrifice our own children to come before the Lord? Is that something that the Lord could possibly require of us? And of course we know the answer is no. Why would he ask such a thing? If you come to Bible history class for Sunday school at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings here, you will have learned at this point that the people of Israel and the people of Judah were want to fall into Canaanite worship. And in Judah, in Canaanite worship, where Micah is prophesying something that they did to worship Baal and to worship the false gods is exactly this. They would offer their firstborn children to the false gods. It sounds horrendous that someone would do such a thing. It sounds unthinkable today. Well, unless you think about the sacrament of abortion in our culture, where people do such a thing. But it sounds horrendous to offer children to a false god, and yet Micah has to ask the rhetorical question, would that earn favor with God? Because some people obviously thought that it did. And I think what you can see there is that people even if the idea sounds crazy, will start to think that one way that they could earn salvation, that they could come before God, would be to go with whatever the world thinks salvation is. Can we save ourselves if we offer up what the world wants us to offer up? Can we save ourselves if we advocated for more trans rights, or if we repented of our so-called sins against the climate, or if we repented of whatever our skin color is, which may or may not be inherently sinful depending on who you ask. Now, some of those things may sound absolutely insane to you or crazy to you, but I can actually find you very easily churches that are saying that this is what we need to do if we want to be saved. This is what we need to do if we want to find favor with the Lord. We need to do whatever the world asks us to do. We need to appease the world and redefine salvation in this way. It may sound crazy, but it was not crazy for Micah that people would go along with the culture around them to find salvation with the Lord. So he has to ask... This question, should we offer our firstborn children like the bell worshipers offer their firstborn children? Would that earn us salvation before the Lord? But again, Micah's answer is very clear. Faith alone. Faith alone will save. You can fast forward. I'm having to pull in a little more context here, but you can fast forward to chapter 7. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament Micah 7, 18 through 19. Micah asked more questions this time, not rhetorical, this time not of you, but of God. Who is a God like you? O God, the true God. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights 
in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on his children. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all of your sins into the depths of the sea. He will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Who will do it? Not you. Who will do it? Not you offering a sacrifice, offering your tithes. Not you offering any external act. Not you appeasing the world. Not you. God will. He will forgive your sins. He will tread your iniquities underfoot. He will take all of your sins and bury them way deep down into the sea, way deep down into the tomb where Christ lay, way deep, way down, where they cannot ever be seen again. God himself, who knows everything, this is an amazing thing about God, will actually forget about your sins. He chooses to forget. Even though he knows all, he chooses to forget your sins, your iniquities, your transgressions. And so you don't need anything but trust in that forgiveness to come before him. You know what he has said, Micah says. He has told you, O man, what is good. And now what comes after that? Finally, this, it is true, Micah teaches faith alone. We cannot come before the Lord with any external act, but with faith alone come new internal realities. When the Lord saves you, when you trust in him, when you're baptized in him, he gives you a new heart, a heart not of stone, but a heart of flesh. When your sins have been cast way down and you rise up to the surface, rising out of that tomb with Christ to live a new life with him, he gives you internal realities. We call this in New Testament language spirit. He gives you a new spirit, and he gives with that spirit fruits, ways to live, virtues to live by, with which you love God and love your neighbor. And so Micah includes these internal realities. He includes these things that you live with when he says, what does the Lord require of you? Because faith without works is dead, and faith and works go together. But notice that these works are good internal realities, not false sacrifices, but ways to live, which are abundant, which apply abundantly to God and to your neighbor. What does the Lord require of you? You've probably heard this verse before, but to do justice to love kindness, and to walk humbly before your God. To do justice, to live with honesty, to live at peace with one another, to come before one another, putting the best construction on every situation, not bearing false witness against one another, not gossiping about one another, not being unrighteously angry with one another, but pursuing what is right in the Lord's eyes, to love kindness, to love gentleness, to know when and how to love one another, compromising not of biblical values, but compromising 
showing compassion with one another just as Christ showed compassion on those who he loved. And to walk humbly before your God, to always put his life, his words, his ways, his commands, his statutes before your own thoughts, your own desires, your own ways, your own prideful way of being. To always say, he knows best, I will follow after him. I will imitate him because he is the eternal Lord. He is good. He is always right. And these internal realities, they might sound difficult. They might sound impossible. And in some ways, they are. But when you have faith alone in him, and you're able to come before him, then these things follow after. He gives you these things by his Spirit, and you will be strengthened to do them more and more as we await for the coming of Jesus Christ. And so the answer to this lifelong, Christian history-long question, what does the Lord require of you? The answer is simple. He requires of you faith alone. And he also requires of you, with that faith, to follow after him in his ways. To him be all the honor and all the glory, now and forever. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the word.